0: The Loose Cannons Podcast is a free-form discussion about film that contains mature language such as poop and titty and descriptions of mature situations such as filing taxes and raising children. We do not have any concern for spoilers, so if you haven't seen the film or films we are discussing and don't want to have the twists ruined for you, please watch the film before listening to the podcast.
1: We rolled a plane out on the airstrip with you at the controls we had South Mexico. You're crazy. You're all crazy. You're right and the rest of the world is wrong. All well, the square johns
2: dopes guys dumb enough to work for a living how come the smart guys are inside and the dope's outside no i'm not in it you're in it i say so hey, still says so think about that wife of yours steve
0: you can't afford to make any mistakes
1: Hey everyone! It's another Loose Cannons podcast coming at you. Today we got another one of our three casts. Basil sadly couldn't make it, but obviously I, Ruben, am here. I'm also joining me today are Patrick and Ilya.
0: Hello. Hello. We're back on the podcast.
1: Sure. Today, we're going to be discussing 1954's Crime Wave, directed by Andre de Toth. But before we do that, let's do this a little thing we like to call Heralds and Denouncements. <sharp inhale> <sharp inhale> I brought to this one.
2: You bring new instruments to this every time. <laughs>
0: Okay, um, I saw the movie uh, Resident Evil the Final Chapter last night. Uh, I would like to denounce that movie. Uh, I thought the editing was a mess. And I didn't like the sound mixing in it either. Um, everything sounded like it was turned up to 11. And it, it actually like physically hurt my ears listening to a lot of it. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's not theater like i'm pretty sure because i've seen several movies in the theater in that theater specifically now Uh, i'm pretty sure that's just the movie and the way that it was tuned and i had to like put my fingers not in my ears but just like over my ears so it wouldn't hurt them as much uh that was distracting and it really got on my nerves and yeah i just didn't like like the content was just kind of like goofy and nihilistic and you know i mean i guess that's kind of what paul ws anderson goes for in these movies but it's i still just didn't really care for it
1: goofy for sure <laughs> not always nihilistic i feel like he does lots of different things like event horizon <coughs> is like pretty dark as far as things go and i guess Pompeii as well but he also does like some pretty silly optimistic stuff like mortal Kombat.
0: yeah it's true this just didn't seem like it was. I don't know. I, I guess some of it was optimistic, but it, it like it also didn't feel like the ending of the series because you know, like it has somebody like riding off like fighting a giant zombie monster at the end of it, and I was like, well, the story is still going. Like, this is how you're gonna end it? Like, with the fight continues or whatever? Like, okay, I guess. Mm. <laughs> I thought you were. I thought you were like officially done with this now or whatever, but. I don't well, know. I
1: don't I'm probably going to see it tonight, so I'll have a good think about it. But um, yeah. that is how a TV show that I like ends, and I think that that ending works pretty well. But
0: yeah, I mean. it's
1: a. Uh, it. I mean, it, in that case, it's all about the delivery of the moment, <laughs> and also the assumption that all of those characters are probably going to die in this fight. <laughs> so it definitely feels like pretty conclusive in that mm-hmm.
0: way. <laughs> I mean, you can tell me what you think of it, because I, I haven't seen any of them uh, since the original, one, so I don't know like what he's been building up to at this point. But
1: I haven't seen the two ones that he didn't do. I thought, um, I think the, okay, so I like the first one a lot, but just as like, sort of like, I guess, a straight horror thriller thing. Um, like, it has some fun set pieces and stuff like that. And then I didn't watch the next two, the ones that weren't directed by W.S. Anderson. And then the next one that he, when he got back on board, he directed, I thought had a lot of interesting ideas, but was, a, was like a pretty bad film in a lot of ways. Like there's a bunch of unnecessary storylines and also like some gross color correction and stuff like that. But then I loved the next one. Yeah, Retribution. That doesn't necessarily, yeah. I haven't seen it. That doesn't necessarily mean that this one will be any good. And I mean, yeah, I, I could retribution is well, I, well, I could. certainly not nihilistic. It's basically very similar to aliens and that, you know, they give Mia Jovovich like a child that she's supposed <laughs> to protect. That's
2: like, you know, worst part of that movie for sure. Of humanity.
1: Yeah. But yes. Yeah. I, but that's why it's kind of funny in,
2: yeah. This movie? Yeah.
0: I I guess so. Yeah. I I just did never feel like I I felt like there might be some stuff that he was doing that was like a little bit genre subverting, but I I felt like I had to have seen what he had done in the other movies to kind of get it. So I was like I maybe just don't understand a lot of this, but then certain parts I was just like, nah, this is just kind of boring and gross." And I think I I saw it in 3D too because of like I just wanted to see the earliest screening after i got off work so i i was like fine i'll see the 445 screening or whatever and it was in 3d and i i generally kind of hate 3d because it's it like makes everything look darker and it's a little bit more distracting yeah. especially with something like this where the editing is like real fast and action is happening and i'm just like Ugh, uh, uh so that may have also contributed to me not enjoying it but um, yeah i'm
1: not um one of those people, as we discussed on a previous podcast, like a Paul W.S. Anderson tourist. Mm. I'm excited to see this movie. But he has some pretty bad misses <laughs> in his catalog as well. Like Pompeii. I don't think there's any defense for Pompeii.
2: <laughs> every um, time someone mentions... People every say time Pompeii are good. anyone starts talking about Pompeii, I have to think about the Eric Henderson review on Letterboxd, which calls it pompeii painful. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: good one yeah this one seemed like it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it introduced a bunch of characters that were like i don't know if they had been in uh in any of the other movies like she did seem to know one or two of them from past movies so i was like okay i guess there's somebody i'm supposed to care about but then it like i don't know it, it it feels like it both tries to inject you caring about them so that they can just kill them horribly and like have you care about them dying horribly and i'm like why do that? Like, what's the point of that? (laughs) That seems really cheap.
2: Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, I, uh, uh, I rewatched his girl Friday, uh, like a couple of days ago. And, uh, for various reasons, that movie hit me pretty hard right now. It was pretty interesting. Um, and very kind of an emotional experience Um, and beyond a lot of things that we have talked about on this podcast and other people have talked about at length uh, in other places. um, What actually struck me one of the most and probably owing to the climate, political climate right now was how confident the press in this movie is. Like, they're just like the baddest motherfuckers in town and like the mayor is afraid of them the police chief is afraid of them they're the ones that make or break like elections and get people in power or you know out of it and i kind of was like oh man <laughs> i wish the media <laughs> kind of had those kind that kind of a uh, self confidence right now <laughs> like it just like um and i mean a lot of those people in this movie are like such assholes like it's very obvious how um
1: yeah you kind of have to be an yeah. asshole yeah though. or like at least like a little bit numb it's kind of like being a doctor in that way sometimes where it's like right if you're, like, truly empathetic, it's just going to be too painful yeah, and I think for you to do your job they, correctly.
2: So they use the character of Molly uh, Malloy, right? Or what's her name? Um, the one that uh, basically gets sucked into this story of Earl Williams, right? This woman that he kind of uh, talks to the night before. And she's the one basically yelling at them about how what heartless bastards they are! And she ends up throwing herself out out of the window, which the movie doesn't really give that much weight. It's like it shows her crashing to the ground, and it's like, okay, so what? What's the real thing that's happening here? What's like what's going to happen between Hildy and uh, Walter and everything else? So there's like a cynicism in the movie that I think the movie is pretty like aware of like, Oh yeah, this is basically how newspapers treat people <laughs> that like someone's life gets shattered, but like who cares really? Like it's not really the main storyline of this. Um, but yeah. So anyway, I, I just thought that that angle had not really occurred to me as strongly as it did this time. Just like how much power those people felt they had and they really did have uh at least in that movie at the time and how different it is Mm -hmm. right now or it feels differently right now
1: yeah um i learned a couple years ago that uh apparently the old newspaper model relied pretty heavily on classified ads so it's actually like people talk about like internet and like blogs and subscriptions like that that's why the newspapers failed but really a lot of the reason is because classified ads went online and they lost that revenue stream and they had to keep cutting mm-hmm. back on their reporting um, you know and then every time they cut back then it becomes a le- something that's less useful for a person to have And then something like Twitter comes along and now it's beating people to and breaking a news story, uh, you know, faster than any newspaper could ever succeed at doing. But it means that, like, there's a lot of real journalistic work that is not done. Like breaking news stories isn't journalistic work. It's someone was near a thing that happened and then they told people. Like, real journalistic work is, like, sitting in on a city hall meeting and, like, listening to, like, a three-hour boring conversation about, like, damn proposals. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, Hildy, like, <laughs> breaks down this whole story of Earl Williams and how everything really did happen. And it's just, like, exhilaration about it. Like, oh, I really got to the bottom of this whole thing. And once this is going to be printed, this is what people are going to believe because this like sounds like the real thing. And there's like a confidence behind like we're owning the truth behind this. Right. And uh, I don't think that now anyone would feel as confident about something like that. Like investigative journalism, I feel like just doesn't really carry the sort of weight and the sort of punch that it used to because it can just be like basically questioned Without even having to undermine your questioning with like proper like evidence or anything like that, it's just like, no, you know, I don't feel like that's true, <laughs> and then like who, who gives a shit um but it's yeah it's it's that was yeah, just like there a, was a weird a
1: confluence of problems. Yeah,
2: it was just like a weird element like, of watching that film, which didn't like everything else took such press like you know was was so much more kind of interesting. But now, like, that that angle kind of struck me a lot. So, yeah, still a five-star fucking movie. <laughs> Love that movie.
1: Speaking of five-star movies that are ostensibly comedies, but are also pretty depressing, I watched Johnny Toe's Don't Go Breaking mm. My Heart, uh, my third Johnny Toe movie, and my first of... His romantic comedies and it is a, a, like a genuinely like sweet and charming and funny movie at times but like there's just this sense that like I don't know the whole movie that like none of these relationships are like actually good enough <laughs> in a way like these people are all like in love with each other And whatnot, and are like fighting to figure out who you know the woman should end up with. Another thing that I like about this movie is that the woman is the central character, and then there are two guys competing for her affection. Whereas, like, the normal romantic triangle movie is there's a good guy competing for the affections of the woman that he loves, and then a bad guy who's in his way. And like, the movie's arc is like convincing the good guy to. I mean, convincing the girl to recognize the internal goodness of the good guy. You know, the apartment model, I guess. Mm. Um, But in this case, even though there is like a clear good guy and a bad guy, the bad guy is not nearly as bad as he normally is. And the woman's kind of bad, too, (laughs) in some ways. And the whole thing sort of like... Uh, It's not, like, ever explicit, but, like, it's... The movie opens, like, right before, like, the big economic collapse of 2007. Like, when everyone's, like, trying to pretend, like, things are going to be fine when they're not. And then, like, you know, the first act ends with, like, one of the people, like, his entire business just closes down. And then it's, like, three years later or something like that. And uh, that sort of weird capitalist, like, Paul is, like, over the whole film. Like, everything, like, takes place in, like, these office towers and, like, these fancy restaurants and stuff like that. And it all just makes it feel, like, really fake in some sort of weird way. That makes me super uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. If I were to try to put a, like, blurb on a, you know, jacket for a, VHS or something, it would be like, uh, the earrings of Madame Dub meets Yee Yee, Hmm. (laughs) but funny, (laughs) (laughs) but funny.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's something you like. Getting my first. Something you liked about Hunger Mm -hmm. Games too, right? The whole two guys vying for a woman's affections, but like actually like trying to woo her in their own ways yeah i mean i think
1: i think in the hunger games uh yeah that the author makes it doesn't make one good and one bad but i feel that one is clearly good and one bad personally so this is slightly different from that just in the sense that like i don't feel like the bad guy is that bad right also I get it's a movie that got me to care like really deeply about a frog. <laughs> it's a frog that's like a central part of the film. And frogs are pretty cool. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, kinda ruined frogs with Pepe right now, but yeah. Oh no. Bastards. <laughs> well this is this is re- Reclaim <laughs> reclaim <laughs> frogs.
1: Is a good frog? Mm. <laughs> that helps uh, the one guy who's an architect make his buildings and make his designs like he shows him a design and he's like one rivet for yes two rivets for no and the frog is just like rivet 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 and he's like is it really that bad and it's like rivet 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 and he's like fine I understand you can stop rivet rivet (laughs) rivet it's pretty good (laughs) nice
2: Johnny too anyways very good yeah
1: he's good In my three movies that I've seen by him so far I gave four stars four and a half stars and five stars too so yeah he is good he's got two
0: movies in my
1: top 100 <laughs> speaking of
2: all right crime movies yeah <laughs> um so this was my pick um yeah it sure was and i'm gonna briefly talk about the plot so um uh the movie opens with a uh robbery of a gasoline station and uh, uh during the robbery they kill um a police officer and uh one of the gang members is wounded and uh the wounded guy um, runs up into uh, an apartment um, of an ex uh, convict, The name is Steve Lacy, uh, who's trying to start a new life, who's working as a mechanic. Um, but basically, uh, the wounded guy kind of uh, brings back brings him back into like all the people that he knew back when he was in prison and those people start using him to have one last robbery basically um meanwhile because those guys killed a police officer um the whole city is uh Basically, in, uh, uh, yeah, in a, the, the police are trying to find those guys very actively, um, led by uh, Detective Lieutenant uh, Sims, played by Sterling Hayden, who uh, is a yeah, pretty rough kind of uh, dude <laughs> who finds Lacey and is convinced that he hasn't changed and is very suspicious of him. Um, and yeah, so then that, uh, robbery, that one last robbery goes along, but goes awry and, uh, uh they end up being, um, on the run. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I, I guess don't have to talk about the ending <laughs> right now, but, um, as you could probably notice, it's a pretty kind of a standard sort of noir plot. The past catching up yeah. with you, and so on.
1: Yeah, and the clean guy going to trying to go straight right. because of a, at least in part because of the uh, influence of a good woman. Yep. I like this movie a lot. Um, right from the beginning, the first shot, of, like driving around at night. The music that is playing i'm like yeah there's some good cinematography it's some good music mm-hmm. and then the very next scene which is the one you started with when they arrive at the gas station there's a way in which the gas attendant who doesn't have very many lines he just goes hey yeah like right when they walk in they're like made me instantly like him so then when they hit him in the head like i was like oh i don't like that at all <laughs> um
0: Knew they were bad dudes,
1: and then... <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and it's kind of surprising to like be able to garner like a little bit of sympathy for someone like that quickly. And uh, you know, I generally like the movie. I would say my main overall comment from it would be that like a lot of times I feel like when people talk about older movies and like I don't like them, even though they're critically acclaimed, they're like, oh. The reason you don't like them is because all of their new techniques and stuff that they helped revolutionize have now been used so much that you're used to it and it doesn't feel revolutionary to you anymore. But like there were certain moments in this film where it was like, oh, this might have been like kind of like a cool new thing back at this time, but it felt really... Still lively and vital to me, so I don't know. I don't think that argument holds. Mm. I think if I had watched *Breathless* in 1960, I still would have been kind of bored <laughs> with it. Fair
2: <laughs> enough.
0: Yeah. Um, well, this movie was okay. I wasn't that into it. Um, I don't know. I, I, again, like it's. I feel like it's a story that I've seen a lot although i did i did kind of like that um what's his name steve lacy is kind of a he's not he's not as much of a sap as i don't know i guess i kind of expected him to be like the first time i was like oh he's gonna get like dragged into this because he's a sap but it was more like he actually did some kind of cool like i guess like kind of a slick move toward the end to kind of get out of all of it and um i kind of like that uh sterling hayden's character the the police lieutenant was like ended up not being so much of a heel in the end he was like all right he was like he was kind of i don't know like acting in a way for a while there because he was he was really on his ass for a lot of the movie but then at the end you're just like oh right he was you know he was he was running him hard just because he knew like that uh, needed to, to get out of the situation I guess. So mm. it, it, it ended I ended up you know like being pretty okay with it, but I didn't see anything in it that I was just like, oh wow, that blew me away or whatever. All
2: right um, yeah, I uh, like this movie quite a bit. Um, first of all, it's uh, 74 minutes long and it does not waste <laughs> a single minute of its running time.
1: It's so economical. There's a part right after the cop is killed when they're like communicating, you know, basically that the whole yeah. town is, or that the like police station is like, you know, spreading a wide search for what's going on. Yeah. And the whole like that whole section is like 35 seconds long yeah. and all of the information is conveyed. Yeah. And I was like, I miss this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah yeah I, 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 I later read up that uh, Andre de Toth shot this in 13 days so pretty pretty impressive I'd say
1: so Killing. he had to be he had yeah. to be economical um when <laughs> so you're forced to convey yeah. and 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 the, complicated ideas and I
2: think so what I already noticed while I was watching it is that it was so a lot of this movie pretty much all of this movie was shot on location and I think it's like it's it makes for a much more interesting uh, feel to a lot of uh, what's happening because it like kind of doubles as a sort of a documentary of the time and LA at the time um, I thought that was pretty pretty cool Um so, I, actually, if I could, like, maybe compare it uh, to another filmmaker, uh, I would have to say that it reminded me of Michael Mann, actually. And a lot of that was, like, I guess the sparseness um, of, like, how people talk to each other. Um, like, it was just, like, very... I I thought, like, the way you used dialogue was very interesting. Like, most of, like, like characters like Ruben touched upon, a lot of characters get introduced, and then, like, some of them die really quickly. But um, I feel like a lot of people that would usually just be, like, boring extras or were not really people with any sort of depth get, like, get pretty... Like either the actors in like make them interesting, or like the few lines of dialogue they they get to say, kind of makes them into characters, and I thought that was pretty cool. What reminded me a man was actually just the way that, for example, uh, like the movie has a lot of police like driving around town, and you hear like the police announcers like talking about who they're looking for and then like a lot of codes being spoken and all that stuff, which is like, like Mike, something like Michael Mann likes a lot, <laughs> like, uh, um, shop talk, um, and so on. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah. So I also really liked how this movie made police look like thugs. Like there's scenes where they like, once well after the cop gets shot like they're like walking into this bar and they just walk into this bar like they own the fucking place and like everybody just kind of like sits back and like kind of tries to not look at them and they're like walking around looking at everybody and then um and then there's like later when the when when Lacey's apartment gets broken into by the two guys um It's the same sort of feeling where you're like, oh, yeah, so you're like powerless before these people who think that they or like who feel empowered to basically enact violence on you at any given moment. Um, But like criminals take it upon them to do that and they act under a certain weird like code of like criminals code or something like that, whereas police just do that with impunity. And I thought that a movie made in 1954 that can comment on something like that is pretty cool. Um, and um, yeah, and obviously Sterling Hayden's performance, mm-hmm. which is I thought was just great, really great. Like the guy chooses scenery, but he's like does it awesomely. Um, and uh, I think like um, him, like. In a, in a lesser movie, and I think, like, the ending kind of ruins that a little bit for me here in this movie. But, like, in a lesser movie, his character would be like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he's the tough guy. But, you know, he just has to be tough because, like, the city is so tough and whatever. And then, like, actually, you know, he's on the right side of things. Where in this movie, until the very ending, I'm like, I'm not sure what this guy what this guy's motives are, I think he's like doing this like he's really good at what he does, but being good at what you do as a cop can also mean that you're just like a really dangerous guy because like you know how to how to work the system to your favor and really scare the shit out of people. And I think Hayden is is really good at that in this movie. Yeah.
0: I think- yeah, I guess Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was gonna say yeah I I can see that now that I I didn't think about that where he's he kind of, uh, in a way is almost like pushing uh, Steve Lacy into like doing something kind of desperate because he's already like putting the finger on him so hard Steve Lacy's kind of like whoa I can't you know talk to that guy again like I you know can't tell the police what's up or whatever and so. You know, you get the sense throughout the movie that he's, like, getting pressure so much from both sides just because of him being, you know, an ex-con that it, it is actually affecting the outcome in a way. It's kind of pushing an innocent person to do something, you know, that will make them not innocent anymore.
1: Yeah, so if you like Sterling Hayden's performance in this, you probably would also like Bruce Dern's performance as the cop and the driver, because now having seen this, I realize that he is literally just doing an impression <laughs> of Sterling Hayden in this movie. Mm. Like the toothpick, the way that he walks, like the way that he talks to people. Um, that movie is very, like, this movie is, like, kind of hopeful in some ways, even though, like, it still seems like a lot of gross stuff going on. Um, It does end on, like, kind of a hopeful note. And um, I did interpret the ending, I think, a little bit differently than you, just Mm -hmm. in the sense that I, to me, like, even him doing this good thing, which is, like, letting this ex-con, like, go live his life, like, he still can't, like, be nice about it. He's still like an asshole. He's like, what are you standing around for? Get out of here. Go pay your taxes. Buy your groceries. Go back to your jobs. He's like, get out of here. (laughs) I was like... What is wrong with this guy?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the reason why the ending, I guess, doesn't quite work for me because it kind of uh, gives him this redemption thing that I feel like the movie does a really great job of not giving uh, him. Like, it's yeah. So, like,
1: I mean, that that's what I'm yeah, saying. That's where yeah, we disagree. Yeah. Is that like I don't come away from the character from the fact mm-hmm. that he lets him walk as being redemptive. Mm-hmm. I feel like. You know, he's, he's still like making sure that this guy knows that he's in control. Like he puts the screws to him the whole time that they're riding in the car, like basically acting like he's going down. And then when he finally tells them to go, he's not like, just kidding. <laughs> you know, he's, he's still he like,
0: apologize.
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: He's still just like a big old jerk.
0: <laughs> right.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah, I
0: can see that. I, um, yeah, I, I, I felt part of the reason that I, that I wasn't too like super impressed by it because um, I just kept because I guess because Sterling Hayden is in this movie I guess I kept comparing it to like the killing in my head where I was like oh the, the killing is so much more like striking in terms of the way that it looks and the way that the, that story plays out Um and there's actually like I think there are two other actors who were in the killing who are also in this movie so I guess that's just sort of like crime film stock casting but
2: um i assume kubrick watched this I, movie actually
0: oh yeah he, he definitely had to have, um at some point and i just kept thinking about like how many more like kind of iconic moments were in the killing where i was just like oh man that was that was striking and this is this kind of i don't know it, it doesn't really ever have like a look that i'm like oh well that's a memorable shot or that's a memorable memorable shot it's um yeah, I, I think I agree with you on a lot of the points about the characterization of the police as kind of thuggish. I I do think that that's good, but I never I don't know. There's nothing that I could point to where I'm like, oh, that's really memorable or that looks really amazing. Mm. It's just kind of like a it's it's a I guess like you said like it's economic. It's mm. it's it's workman like this film. Yeah, uh, I can point to something like uh, that. <laughs>
1: Which is that there's a shot when uh, he fr- um, when Sims takes uh, Lacey to jail, and uh, the shot seems like it's a typical shot. The cop is in almost all white, and the criminal is in almost all black, and like uh, it's shot like over uh, Sterling Hayden's shoulder, so he's like pretty big and imposing. And then like um, it might be like a slightly wide angle lens, so like even though. Lacey's fairly close to him. He looks, like, much smaller. And, uh, like, that feels like a fairly typical, like, hero shot in a way. Like, white versus black, big versus small or whatever. But the way they're talking is, like, a complete inversion of the way that the shot looks in a way that's, like, pretty cool and surprising Mm. to me. That's, like, um, he doesn't, like, you know, Sims doesn't feel good and Lacey doesn't feel bad in that scene and he doesn't feel weak either like you know like the fact that he refuses to fold seems to have to do with like some sort of internal consistency as opposed to like actually like covering for you know criminals that he doesn't respect anymore
2: Mm. yeah Um, in terms of shots that um, impressed me like just like aesthetically I guess there was there's the shot of when um, Otto Hessler who's the doctor who used to or used to be a doctor and now he's like a veterinarian and uh, like sometimes he does jobs for criminals but there's a pretty funny scene where he like the guy you know dies and then he tries to like take his money because like oh he, he had to have money here he knew I wouldn't come without money um, and then when he uh, gets killed by Charles Bronson's his character, um, there is a shot of his office, and um, like otherwise, the movie kind of does not do the whole chiaroscuro lighting, like really like staged kind of like thing, which I actually would have thought would have not really fit the tone of the movie at all, since it's all about not romanticizing like this type of. Like, criminal uh, existence at all. Like, everyone's kind of miserable for it, and it would be weird if the movie was, like, shot in some kind of super fancy, glossy, or whatever, like, way. But in that scene, when he's killed by, like, Bronson, I think the movie's like, yeah, actually, like, there's something about this character that's, like, really tragic. Like, he used to be probably like a pretty good doctor that he like something like went wrong there's like alluded to that I think one of the patients died or something like that and he like lost his license but now like he really takes care of these dogs and uh, it's really like sweet like he really takes care of them Um, and then Bronson shows up to his place and just kills him and like uh, and there's, there's like this brief moment where the movie like allows this character to have like you know, like some, like there's some tragedy to this. Um, and because of like this yeah. heightened sort of sense of tragedy, like the movie's visual sense also sort of adapts to it. I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Um, it might be considered like a little bit writerly, but it's kind of works for me, which is that when, so there's two scenes at his office. The first is when uh, detective Sims comes to talk to him and to tell him that he knows that he, saw Lacey in the dead uh, gas station robber. Mm. And in that scene, like he points out this dog that's walking around and the veterinarian guy kind of offhandedly says, I was supposed to put him to sleep, but I couldn't do it. And then his arc ends with him getting put to sleep yeah, by Charles Bronson in the office. And like that, you know, that slight like contrast of like, yeah, this guy is a crook, but like, you know, he has empathy in a way in which Charles Bronson does not. And I really like Charles Bronson in this movie, by the way. Yeah. I keep talking about him.
2: Um, There's also like the way the doctor is like written. There's uh there's that scene where he does take a drink, but before that, like just the way he moves, the way he talks is like very heavily, uh, reminiscent of someone who's an alcoholic Um, and I actually thought like huh is this movie gonna just gonna have him like do these things and like talk this like kind of slurry way and like kind of not like his hands are shaking like the typical way but like these other kind of ways and not have him even like drink
1: kind of stumbles in the door yeah, yeah.
2: and, and not have him drink that would be he first arrived interesting but then like yeah they do have the shot of him um actually drinking um but again like i thought like like that's a kind of a would just would be a throwaway character in every other movie and in the movie that's 74 minutes long to still have him be a character like maybe not the deepest possible one but like still someone with some depth um that's that was pretty cool yeah.
1: Like again building off the my very first point yeah. is that this movie feels like the opposite of how Patrick described Resident Evil which is, you know, introducing characters in order to manipulate you yeah. with them. Was like almost every time that a character is introduced to me in this film, like I feel like they could have their own movie too. Like <laughs> um we're watching this movie, but everybody else is like, they're not um, the side characters and some other person's like more interesting story.
2: Yeah. Uh, By the way, about about the killing. uh, So one of the people, one of the actors in this movie, yeah, Timothy Carey, right? He was like in a bunch of Kubrick movies like later. I think this was like one of his first roles. So I think I'm pretty sure that Kubrick like got him from here
0: yeah yeah i, I definitely recognize it. He's the guy that shoots the horse yeah in the killing right uh-huh. and uh and the guy- i thought you were
1: talking about this movie oh, for no, a second. No. i was like how did i miss that no, scene no.
0: <laughs> um, and uh the guy that plays doc penny <laughs> so is i haven't seen too. the he's, he's one of the police officers right. actually in the killing. Mm. Um, and, uh, i thought the funniest thing about doc penny was that he used a cigarette holder which i was funny for, like, a convict who, to have, like, this long cigarette holder. Yeah. So it looks like he's, like, the penguin or something. I was like, that's a kind of a funny thing to give a, like, hardened criminal to do. Like, this, like, fancy cigarette holder just walking around with it the whole time. Mm.
2: Yeah, it's like <laughs> a, a really failed, like, grandiosity about that. that. <laughs> like, I, I, I like that um, you know, the movie does not really make any one of its, like, You know, characters like someone who's really cool. They're all kind of like, I don't know, like it's very unromantic about like what it's like to be like a criminal. Like they're all just not happy with the way they are. Um, And uh, I guess Charles Bronson feels like the most into it out of everyone like he's really
1: also that guy with the weird mouth at the end yeah. I think his name yeah that's Johnny. Timothy Carey, right the yeah life. yeah
2: right mm-hmm yeah exactly
1: like he does something weird with his mouth in every scene and I was like oh boy. I don't like looking at <laughs> yeah. this dude yeah yeah yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> he's real gross <laughs> he's
1: like ah mm. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but you know so basically that's uh, Well, summing it up, like, this movie ha- is detailed, and that's what I like about it. Like, there's another shot that's a, a dolly shot from, I believe, Detective Sim's office to um, the, f- the ex-girlfriend of one of the people who s- uh, robbed the gas station, one of the people who broke out of prison, and they're, you know, trying to grill her over whether or not she's seen him. But while it's panning from his office to this person, it shows another police interview, mm-hmm. one that has nothing to do with this movie, which is a husband and a wife, yeah. and the like <laughs> talking about <laughs> domestic abuse. And she's like, "Oh, we just, it's just play, you know." And it's like, you know, he just he accidentally screamed this time, so that the neighbor's going, uh, "You know, I've thrown a lamp at him before. He thinks it's funny."
2: Yeah. Yeah, he's got that big bandage on his head <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah, and it's like an unbroken shot like, right like that whole thing is yeah. like Sterling Hayden kind of moves to them like looks kind of like checks in on what's going on here They he moves to the next person who's like being like questioned and that's like I think yeah like you said like the ex-wife or whatever yeah. then there's the next guy who's like why did you pick me up in the middle of the night then now everyone will know that I'm like ratting for you and like blah 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 like there's Like, yeah, like, someone really thought about, like, these, like, people... Like, there's, like, history here or whatever. Like, there's, like, so much detail to all these different little characters that usually would not even get this much attention. And again, this is a 74-minute movie. So, like, it's not like movies can't do that. Like, it's they totally can. Like, all these people maybe get, like, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds to talk but there's enough in those 15 20 seconds to make them into like people you know that that that's pretty cool i like that shot just also for like because it was unbroken like there's like a it's like one of the few shots that i felt like call like a, calls a little bit of attention to itself but even that is like because it's not really moving that much while it's unbroken it's like it doesn't really make it like into like a huge point like wow i'm making these lo- long unbroken shots here look what a what a great director i am mm-hmm. yeah
1: it's not um uh Martius once said this about uh again to bring up Walter Hill and the way that he directs films is that like she says that there are some piano players who will play like an amazing uh, you know sequence and while they're playing it they make sure the way in which they play it that you know that it's amazing and then like kind of flourish at the end and then there are some people who sit down and play it and just like you know whether or not you recognize it as amazing is not really important to them as whether or not they're like able to to do it um and Uh, that was i always liked that she described walter hills directing that way because it definitely is like how i kind of feel about him like he doesn't have like these flourishes he doesn't draw attention to his style i feel that way about john carpenter uh too even though john carpenter is a little more well-regarded than walter hill Mm
0: -hmm. yeah for sure
1: the opposite of Wes Anderson or Paul Thomas Anderson do feel like every single shot needs to draw your attention to how smart they are and how good at making films they are
2: (laughs) Uh, another thing that's kind of uh, interesting about this is that um, there's almost no score like there's almost no music Like, like Ruben mentioned the music in the beginning like except for that yeah there's pretty much no score, squ- and so like there's uh it adds mm-hmm. to like the whole yeah, the
1: song is playing while that guy while that guy's hitting the yeah head, and then when yeah, they murder the this- cop. and then once mm-hmm. that so- once they get out of the gas station yeah. i don't believe there's any song yeah he's like
2: that. check it out it's dora's day <laughs> That's Doris Day singing. Yeah, yeah. Um and then yeah, you gets hit over the head and then Doris Day. and like that kind of adds to the whole being shot on, on location, like it's all being, you know, economical and every, and also unromantic. Um, it's like, yeah, none of these scenes like your your emotions in this movie, like the movie does not really play them up in this like oh, now you should be like, like th- this is like a sad scene right now. Like a lot of it is like like Lacey's situation is pretty sad because he's like really tr- genuinely trying to like start over. But um, actually this kind of reminds me of another thing which I liked, which is uh, that Lacey is kind of like this wounded sort of guy and his wife is actually the one that's comforting him and, like, trying to, like, you know... Like, uh the dynamics in that relationship are not just, like, oh, she's... She doesn't really get a lot of characterization, but she's, like, not the uh um damsel in distress or anything like that. Like, she's pretty... Like, she knows what she got herself into with, like, being with an ex-con, and, like, she's actually trying to uh help him like you know make it you know as in this like new stage of his life um and there's a shot uh of like he gets keeps getting calls right and then he tries to pick up the phone and she like puts her hand on his hand and there's like a shot of those of the two hands on the on the phone and like the ring on her finger Um, and like, she's, like, kind of the one that's, like, he, he's, like, in her arms when when he's, like, uh, when they're hugging um, and stuff. And I thought that that was, like, kind of also, like, a nice detail of this movie. Like, she again, she doesn't really get that much characterization, so I wouldn't, like, overrate this too much. But I thought that um, uh, that couple was pretty also not typical noir stuff.
0: Yeah, I I like that they didn't, like, make her into, I don't know, like, a shrew. Like, I feel like normally (laughs) you would get that character to become more of, like, a shrew. And, you know, like, she would probably be the one who ended up, you know, like, giving them away at the end or whatever. Uh, Because it's always, you know, if this were a more typical noir, like, she would be probably more antagonistic. But, I don't know. I, I don't know. I would... Even hesitate to classify this as noir because it's definitely not as cynical as most noir is. Um, I guess you would just I cl- classify it as more like crime thriller or whatever. Mm. Although most noir is is I guess like that in that same like crime genre. Mm.
2: But
0: it definitely doesn't have like a femme fatale who's supposed to be this, you know, like terrifying presence for the. The male characters, like you know, she she's pretty much, uh, I guess I, I don't want to call her antagonistic. I guess protagonistic. I don't know if that's a <laughs> word that you could say, but mm. she's you know, she's supportive rather than antagonistic
2: yeah well yeah, she's like she does not a, like uh, she's neither like the super sexualized like yeah like femme fatale thing nor is she <coughs> like the uh scared you know uh person who's like just you know all this all, all she does is be scared um uh so that's at least in that ter- in those in that sense it's like a bit better than that um but, I, yeah, I, I would still probably think that, call this an, I mean, there a, a is noir, a type though. that's in yeah. some
1: noir yeah. films that she is similar to. Yeah. Of this sort of, like, pure woman, which is, like, the, you know, the woman who represents, like, the possibility of having a good life that usually the mm. main character isn't able to get to or get back to because they get yeah. pulled away by the femme fatale. There's some movie I'm thinking of, but i can't remember They like starts off with like a guy and he's like kind of dating a girl in like a small town and then like someone shows up and he gets pulled back into something he like works in a gas station
0: is that um and is that the killers no i haven't seen so, like, that like quicksand or something oh, that, like that, that sounds very that sounds very similar to what happens in the killers somebody yeah uh
1: I don't know. I mean, I can't remember Mm -hmm. what movie it is, but there's, like, a very clear uh, shot in my mind of, like, the two of them, like, sitting by, like, a pond or a river or something like that, and, like, discussing their possible future together, and him being, like, kind of, like, coy and defensive about it.
0: Um, There's a gas station.
1: So, yeah, like, it's not, like, I mean, I don't know. She's not, like, a total... Totally out of nowhere. You could even like compare it to like a little bit to someone like Grace Kelly and High Noon, and that like
2: yeah, yeah, she's yeah. that's probably an apt comparison.
1: She's there to pull pull the yeah. you know. She's definitely a, things back to the center. Yeah,
0: she's definitely a but, like, redemptive woman. you going yeah, inside. but
1: it, that's yeah. That's the thing is that she doesn't reform him, yeah. which I think is nice. Like she's it's not. The movie is not making the point that you just need to find like a.
2: Good yeah, 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 yeah.
1: You can stop being right. a criminal. Because, like, it's clear that, um, one, that, like, he had already decided to, like, go straight before, like, he met her, it seems like. Like, whether or not that's said explicitly, it feels like that's for sure the case. And the second way that she, like, doesn't treat the fact that he has been a criminal in the past is something that needs to be like whitewashed away she's like i know i know the man that i married mm. so yeah it's kind of cool yeah speaking of uh humanizing moments another little moment that i liked is when um he calls his parole officer mm-hmm. he wakes him up in the middle of the night and his wife is like do you, he's like do you have to go and he's like it's my job. I'll see you at breakfast. Yep. And something about,
2: I like that a lot too.
1: First saying it's, it's my job. I liked like that. I don't know, maybe a bit Hawksian, like Mm. being dedicated to doing like a good job, regardless of the circumstances and like the importance of that. Um, And then the second line, I don't know, it kind of hit me a little bit for some reason, like, uh i'll see you at breakfast like it was it's like he knows he's not going to sleep tonight like he's gonna spend the whole rest of the night working on this um
2: but yeah and it kind of adds to this whole like oh they've done this before like he's been out at night before and like came back at breakfast so like this is like a, a pretty typical thing for them um, I actually like the parole officer, too, because, like, he's an interesting sort of counterweight. Like, he's not in the movie for long, but, like, um, an interesting just counterpoint to uh, what the movie is otherwise, you know, not exactly very positive about, which is, like, uh, law enforcement and, uh, you know, law in general. The justice system. Yeah. Like, he's, yeah. like, on the, on the guy's side and even kind of like tries to defend him from hate from sterling hayden um which was really scary (laughs) like you wouldn't you don't want to mess with him um and he's like in there and like doing a pretty good like doing his job really um and that's yeah that was that was a nice he's not sandy
1: cohen from the oc (laughs) like he's not like a You know crusader for like the little guy but like he obviously takes his job like very seriously and like you know he he's doing his job like he he's like you know he's done nothing wrong you have to let him go and then like the next day he takes him back to his workplace and he's like i still have a job and he's like yeah i talked to your boss and i said uh, you know yeah you haven't been conv- you haven't been arrested. You haven't been convicted of anything. There's no reason you should get fired for yeah. this. I mean, yeah. they kind of like that. I like that, but I I om- I almost would rather that the boss not say what he said after mm. that. Which is he's like, the best mechanic. Um, he's well, like well. once you yeah he's the best mechanic. It's like oh yeah. In this case, he doesn't want to lose him because you know he really needs his skill and expertise. Like if to me, if it was just like. Yeah, you can't fire someone who's been in jail for three days when they haven't been convicted of anything. Yeah. yeah.
2: That would have been more and, uh, I more mean, hopeful, I guess. Was, you yeah. can, but you yeah. you
0: shouldn't. It's funny that Hank Wharton is his boss, too. Hank Wharton, the guy that played uh, Mose Harper in The Searchers. He's like, mm. Oh, I can't fire him. Thank you kindly. <laughs> 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 it's just,
2: that, that,
0: that weird way of speaking that
2: he has. <laughs> Expected um, him to be in a
0: rocking chair of the hangar.
1: Yeah, I think I. Have, One thing that I did not yeah. like about this movie was the acting of the veterinarian. Though. Mm. I wasn't into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I I like that he was like playing an alcoholic without any, like evidence, clear like visual evidence to that fact. Um, I thought that was good, like good, but like yeah, I guess. Um,
1: yeah, I like the characterization, mm-hmm. but I don't like the acting. Mm-hmm.
0: It's fine. <laughs> That's just generally
2: how I felt was like, Yeah, that's fine <laughs> It's okay That's how it's I okay. feel about
1: the <laughs> protagonist's acting But I like a lot of the other performances Especially Sterling yeah, Hayden And yeah. uh, Charles
2: Bronson yeah, I thought Lacey was kind of bland But um, yeah uh, Hayden was really
1: I mean I don't think that's totally without Yeah, reason.
2: I thought that was totally in keeping With him trying to be this bland Person now you know like that's yeah yeah. um yeah no I liked a lot of things about Hayden's performance I like I I, I like his characterization too I like that scene where like the people like start bringing him names of potential like who could who could they like be looking for and then he's like what (laughs) that guy no he's still still in prison like check your fucking facts like he's just like totally um in this and like oh and like he realize like yeah this guy really like lives in this world like he like no wonder he yeah there's a acts um, that way
1: there's a scene uh where he's with the gas station clerk and he's showing him the mugshots and like hayden uh sims uh feels like he already knows who did it and in this case we know that he's correct but even As an audience member, knowing that he's correct, the way that he leads on the gas station clerk to confirm, yeah, like pointing with the finger there, still feels like a little bit unsettling. He's like, he's like, there were three of them, and he's like, I didn't see the other guy, and he's like, but I'm pretty sure I saw the other two. He's like, I'm sure I saw the other two, and he's like, no, this guy was there, and the clerk's like, okay, oh yeah, I thought, I (laughs) thought,
2: I, I thought there was a third guy in the car. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: That was a nice moment. Yeah. And another really nice Sterling Hayden moment is when he's uh, um, shaking down Lacey in uh, jail and he's like, You can't always do what you want. He's like, I don't want to smoke <laughs> cigarettes, but my doctor tells me I can't. So I chew <laughs> toothpicks. A lot of them. <laughs> like the way that he, he like pauses and then he's like, A lot of them. Like.
2: it it also like to me that's the best explanation for why someone would ever chew a toothpick also like why would you ever really be doing that the whole time like yeah you're like you miss cigarettes that totally makes sense for me and then like also he chews them very angrily and i'm like yep he really wants to smoke (laughs) I, i totally sympathize with that I um
0: I was looking up Andre de Toth on IMDb and apparently there was a good reason that they shot this in such a short amount of time because he directed five films that were released in 1953 when this was released. <laughs> so he he was incredibly busy then. <laughs> he was shooting. He was the um. God,
1: what, what's the name of that director? He did Happy Christmas. Uh, uh Swanberg? Swanberg?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it It's Joe Swanberg of his day?
2: yeah yeah
0: he's it's, it's cranking him out
2: yeah i think like the studio gave him like 15 days to shoot this movie and he shot it in 13 <laughs> that's <Wow>. really funny <laughs> like 15 <laughs> days is not a lot of time <laughs> to shoot a movie though. oh it's yeah i mean i've I've shot a movie in
0: 15 days before and it's it's it breakneck like yeah you, you shoot like Twelve hours and more every day. It's
2: and like this has like chase a chase, chase, c- a, a chase scene action. in it, which is like I mean, whatever. Like it's nineteen fifty four. It's not yeah. like the greatest chase scene ever, but like it's a chase scene. It probably took some time to do that. Yeah. a lot yeah. of
0: shots you have to get. There's a lot of that has to be done. It's,
2: yeah, it's
0: definitely a lot of coverage that you have to have on that. Yeah, for sure. And that's
1: a cool like. Like, the chase itself is fine, but I, like, and I mean, we as an audience know what's happening. It's not like a surprise or anything, but it's still like a cool inversion of the chase is that he's not trying to get away. Like, he doesn't care about getting away at this point. Mm-hmm. He's driving to make sure that Ellen doesn't get yeah. killed, like, because he knows as soon as the other guy hears that the robbery has gone wrong, yeah. that something bad's going to happen to her. So, like, he's not. Like, it seems like maybe at first, a little bit, that he's running from Sims, but he doesn't care yeah. about
2: that. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. he parks the car right in front of the place. Like, he doesn't even try to hide it yeah, or yeah, anything like there. that. So, yeah, yeah, it's very obvious what he's trying to do.
0: And it almost looks like he might... Um... There's There's a there's a shot and i'm trying to remember exactly what what happened. but it looks like it's like a decision point where it's like go on the interstate and get away or go down this other street don't get away or something like that like where he actually like swerves to the side and i almost got the sense that he was like actually trying to make sure that they didn't lose him like they didn't uh like he or he didn't lose them in the chase like they were still following Mm. Just so he would have more people there when he got there, so that he wouldn't, you know, that uh, his his wife would be safe or whatever.
2: I also really like <laughs> Sterling Hayden's face when he's driving. It's just like this oh yeah, I was gonna say sunken like, computer like computer head. Computer who's like <laughs> oh, I hate every minute of this. <laughs> like, <laughs> ah, traffic <Somewhere>. is terrible.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> hate it. <laughs> Drive this car. Um, back. Mm. Like, Another.
2: <laughs> also, like it. Another detail. Uh, did this was okay. this role of Sterling Hayden like bef- like the precursor to like eventual role he would play in The Godfather? Like, <laughs> is, this, be, like yeah. is this uh, like? this like? I don't
1: even remember who he is in he's the. He's a he's a police, is he chief. The yeah. police the corrupt chief.
2: police chief who Michael Corleone yeah. shoots in that. Uh, in the you know where he gets yeah. the gun from the toilet and stuff. Uh, One of yeah. the
1: few scenes in that movie that I really really yeah. like. Right. Yeah,
2: and uh, I'm sure this is just the direct <coughs> successor. <laughs> That's what he eventually became, the of yeah. Sims.
0: Yep. <laughs> it's yeah. the same character. <laughs> <laughs> he just moved. To, he just moved to New York. <laughs> Um,
1: yeah I just I saw this in my notes and it's not related to anything we were talking about but another moment that is like a kind of small detail but that I like the what it adds to the scene and is like why I like the movie maybe more than like it's story should denote is um, so that guy arrives at their apartment and he talks to them for a bit and then like we're pretty sure that he's dead but and then the doctor comes in and confirms that he's dead and then while the doctor and Lacey are arguing the corpse just falls out of the chair Mm. like in a really inhumane way like it's like this guy's dead like real dead like (laughs) sliding out of the chair dead
2: not just comfortable in his seat dead but like real dead (laughs) like you have to deal with this now dead
1: And there's, like, a pause while the two of them are talking when they look at the body on the floor. And I was like, this is, like, discomforting in a way that I like. Yeah. There's a lot of people actually looking at dead bodies in this movie in a way that I think is good. Like, the gas station attendant, when he wakes up from being unconscious, like, looks at the cop who obviously, like, he had a friendly relationship Mm -hmm. with. And there's, like, a pause, like, a moment of him feeling it and then that scene and then of course um you know a sort of inversion of it, it when uh charles bronson murders the veterinarian and he looks at the body and he just doesn't care yeah
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah he's like marlo stanfield in the wire he's just uh
1: mm-hmm.
2: no no emotion um and like uh, yeah actually that what you mentioned that detail is really cool because the police Dude, like, mentions that, like, wait, where's the gas station? Cl-? Like, I know him. Like, he mentions him by name before he gets shot, right? And yeah, then, like... Snyder. Snyder, right, right. And, like, uh, I think, like, a lot of movies would just use that as, like a, 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 like, a plot thing where, like, oh, he says that, and then, like, because of that, like, they have to shoot him because, like, oh, he knows. The- but then they maybe wouldn't have this scene where the, after the gas station clerk, like, comes, like, Snyder wakes up. Where he actually, like, yeah, looks at the guy who he knows and feels bad for him, you know, like that. That that actually, uh, again, kind of adds to this whole thing of like the movie has like all this history to its characters um, that goes beyond like the a lot of time of dialogue that they have to say, you know, like there's more going on beyond that.
1: That feels like a decent place to end unless anyone else has anything they'd like to add about Crime Wave
2: I think we're good
1: if you like this movie I will recommend as I already sort of hinted at I know Patrick Cassino wasn't crazy about it but I will recommend Walter Hill's The Driver I feel like it's definitely influenced by this movie but sort of like a more existential and weird version of it like the ending of that is not happy or sad, it's just very ambiguous. <laughs> yep. Also, a lot of good car crashes in that movie. Mm. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, What's uh, next? Thanks for listening, everybody. What's next week? Oh, yeah, yeah, we got it. yeah it's, De- it's Demon Lover. I have it written down. I remember it this time. <laughs> <Demon lover. laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying it. If so, please subscribe using your podcast listening app and give us a five-star rating review on iTunes and tune in to us next week, hopefully, when we'll be discussing Demon Lover, directed by Olivier Assayas. Woo. And uh, since that was a Basil Pick, he for sure will be on that podcast, even if... One of us isn't. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye. Cool.